You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast guests. Two things today before we start. I'm super excited to have a co-host with me. Uh, many of you have heard me refer to her. She's been on the podcast before, but Summer Zifko, Team Boxes online business manager, is with me today. She's got some great questions already in her back pocket for our guest today. And the other thing I want to say is we have an excellent guest today. So. I want to tell you something that um, stood out to me that about our today's guest, and that's she has this unique skill in making hard topics that she covers really digestible. And her takeaways are how to switch from resisting to thriving. Um, and we're going to learn all about that and more with our guest today, Amy Wong. So. Let me tell you a little bit about Amy. She is the founder of Always On Purpose. Gotta love that name, Summer. You know, it's right in our ballpark. There is. She's an executive leadership coach, author, speaker, and facilitator. And she's worked with organizations like Airbnb, Salesforce, Roku, LinkedIn, Facebook, and more. So those are a lot of big groups and a lot of moving parts in them. And Amy offers transformational leadership development and cutting edge communication strategies to executives and corporate teams around the world, as well as institutions, including Stanford University and University of California at Berkeley. Been a while since I've been on that campus, but it's beautiful. Um, Amy pulls from various disciplines, studies, and practices to find a consilient approach to achieve flow and create profound impact through the three lenses of self, relationships, and results. All of those topics our listeners love to learn about. So she has a passion for helping leaders identify their blind spots, reclaim precious time, energy, and creative bandwidth and create next level input. Now, if that's not enough being busy, Amy also released a book recently, just last May, Living on Purpose. So we'll, we're gonna find out a bit about that. And one last fun fact, Amy's a mathematician, so, which caught both Summer and I. So with that, let me start by welcoming Amy Wong to the podcast. Hi, Amy. Oh, hello. It's great to be here, Summer and Sarah. This is going to be so much fun. <laughs> we think so. Yeah. So so uh, let's just start off by what inspired you to do all that that I just pulled out from your bio? What inspired you to do that work? You know, it wasn't one singular thing. And I, I, I think the right answer is really it's just been this growing momentum of of just fascination, passion, hunger, around anything pertaining to the topic of thriving. And you know, starting at a really, really young age, I was fascinated, truly, truly fascinated with all things consciousness studies, this idea that thinking is causative, 
you know, I mean, I remember when I learned about the placebo effect when I was really young and I'm thinking, why isn't this proof that we have way more power than we realize? And just looking at the scientific community going, come on, you know, it must have been like, I don't know, eight years old, but really at a very, very young age, I was just super hungry for for just to, to dive into what makes us tick, what does it mean to be human, and what does it truly mean to live a life that is realized? And it, it just it just kind of grew to this point. <laughs> here I evolving. What's funny about what you said is that when you talked about being about eight, yeah. I sometimes think when I listen to young young kids, you know, in below ten, and actually young and teenagers too, but sometimes especially with the young kids this profound wisdom comes out and because they're short people, we're like, well, <laughs> well, that was interesting. But, you know, but I think about it, think about that thought, why is this not a clue? Yeah. Right. It is to people who study it, who have grown up and all that stuff. But even as a young kid, you are connected or oh, yeah. probably especially because you even haven't been so. disconnected. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Totally agree. Yeah. So yeah. Summer, do you have a, a question for Amy, let's just pepper her because you have, <laughs> well, we have a combined list of questions that. All right, I'm ready. All right, bring them on. <laughs> well, you, you just seem such an intellectual. I was reading through your bio and I came across the word of conversational intelligence. Ah. And personally, I want to know what that is and how I can get better at it because I definitely feel like that's kind of a downfall that I need some improvement upon. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I have to just say, I love the term conversational intelligence because I mean, doesn't it just pique your interest? Like, yeah, I want to get better at that. And you know what this field is, is it's, it's an adjacent field that somewhat mirrors IQ and EQ. You know, everyone, we all know what IQ is. We all have a good feeling of what EQ is and how important that is in the world. But there's a whole other field called CIQ, which really is about it's it has a lot to do with the neuroscience of trust our neurobiology as it pertains to this thing called communication and what does it take to truly thrive in relationship with others via this this medium of communication and you know for me it's it's funny I, right now at this point in my life over the past i want to say 7 8 years communication has become a true passion and expertise area of expertise of mine. And it didn't start out that way, but what I began to recognize through my studies with math and then teaching math and then doing all the work I did in tech, really, I, it became so clear to me that it's this medium called communication or conversations in which everything is happening. Everything's happening. And yeah, we don't really think about it that way. What happens is we show up, with a good intention, hope for the best, and then wonder why things fall apart. And it's because, you know, we just, we haven't really put a spotlight on this medium in the way that we can. And so what conversational intelligence is about, it's, it's really the science, the practice, the art, and all of the, the, the study, you know, that involves leadership, psychology, anthropology, neuroscience, all of it together. It's like, what do we have to do in order to connect and to navigate and to grow together as humans, because the truth is, we aren't operating in a vacuum. We don't create in a vacuum. We don't exist in a vacuum. Nothing happens by ourselves. Like it is always in relationship to someone or you know to an, to, to others. And so, 
What, what do we need to do in our speaking? What do we need to do in our listening? What do we do need to do in our mindset? What does it take to truly be conversationally intelligent so that we can thrive in community? That's a great explanation. I really like that. And it helped me, I guess, understand a little bit more about what it's all entailed because it sounds like it's multifaceted. Yeah. But one thing that I pulled out of there that I'm like, okay, that's me. You said trust was a big part of conversational intelligence. I'm like, I have trust issues. <laughs> I think that's where my, my uh, deficiency lies. So yeah. thank you for kind of breaking that down for me so I can kind of start to understand where I can improve personally. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You are so welcome. I mean, trust is it's the way I think about this and it trust really is the ultimate currency because you know, it trust, it's not just this emotion that emerges because, Hey, we like each other. Hey, you know, we've had this history. And so we get along trust really is it's, it's a neurobiological state that is created or eroded in how we are communicating with one another. But the bigger, the bigger aha here is that, you know, this state of trust, that is equivalent to thriving. That is when we're prefrontal cortex is on live and we're in that state of oh, where our, our autonomic nervous system is running and we're not in that stress mode. That's that's trust. There's and no fight or flight mode. That's so exactly we- right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so it's really all boils down to trust. Yeah, love it. So, Amy, I want to follow up on that then. If trust is the piece of thriving and everything to me that you describe not everything, because I think that's something buried in one of them, are all like, you. they're cognitive in this sense, right? You've got psychology, design thinking, neurobiology, I mean, they're, which may or may not be cognitive, but the sense about like, these are tangible studies or works, right? But at, how does p- the spiritual or not necessarily tangible influence mm-hmm. our trust because you know that saying is like oh they have yeah. a good vibe to me yeah. that's that's one of those first things is like oh yeah oh, and they got icky icky energy you can't oh, yeah. tell someone you got bad energy I'm, <laughs> I'm stepping back but you can feel it and to me that's oh, yeah. almost a layer of trust even if all oh, the yeah. words show up right but Oh, no, you're, I mean, you're tapping into exact, I mean, this is such a big conversation and there's so much, I mean, we could spend a whole incredible day on this, but, you know, in short, we have these amazing sensing apparatuses, these bodies that we live in, and and it's not just our body, but it's our brain, our brainstem, our nervous system, all aspects of our self, you know, does this incredible job of really reading the environment for for safety right so the brain and i'm just going to limit this to the brain for a moment but the brain the brain has this an, I mean, it has an, an incredible job to do so many things and and there's so much that's not known about the brain it really still is mysterious but the truth is that one of the brain's job it, one of its jobs is to keep us alive it's to keep us safe and so the brain brainstem the body all of all the aspects of ourselves work together to read the environment in order to keep us safe. And so the brain is picking up on all these signals and these signals really are gonna map to our brain. Our brain's gonna predict if we're safe or not, depending upon the inputs that we are receiving. And so what's interesting to me, you know, the brain really can't differentiate between, you know, a tiger jumping out of a bush or, you know, a snide comment that's really um, offensive in a, in a meeting to the brain, environmental threats and social threats are the same, right? And so, you know, all of that's true and the brain's looking out. So the brain, it's picking up on all these signals such as, you know, electromagnetic signature, 
right? And so like, are, do you have a coherent or incoherent pattern emitting from you because you're stressed? Now, if you're stressed, you're going to be incoherent. I'm going to pick up on that. And I'm going to pick up stress, which is going to be, oh, that's not safe. And so that might give rise to the feelings of, oh, I don't know if I could trust this person. And, or it could be, <clears throat> I'm picking up on their subtle facial expressions that on a conscious level, I'm not picking up on, but my brain does and says, this isn't safe. And so that assignment that is made truly gives rise to the feelings that we feel. And so then we, we go, Oh, I don't know about this feeling. I don't know. I'm not sure. And so, you know, there's a lot going on that's going to label someone as friend or foe in our brain. And I would say, you know, we all, we all tend to think we're pretty good judges of character. And I would say by and large, we are. And at the same time, we've got all this biochemical stuff going on that's making sometimes inaccurate assignments about others just sure. due to their stress level. <laughs> and so, you know, and then and then if we're dysregulated ourselves, we're not going to pick up on these inputs accurately. And so it's a, it is definitely it's a it's a it's a big, lovely, amazing conversation. But from a I guess we could say this is even a tangible thing what we're talking about, but I think what you were mentioning around like, oh, the intuition and the, the feeling sense that might go beyond these tangible things that we can study, such as biochemical reactions. You know, I do think that there is there there is this very real thing ca called resonance that maybe extends beyond like an electromagnetic signal that we we can measure. Right. And resonance, like, what is that? And so, you know how we say oh, I just vibe with this person or I own this this person and I feel like I've known them for years. It was almost like, like, oh, we maybe we had past lives together, which sound ridiculous, but it's awesome. And maybe that's true. I don't know. What do we know? I think, you know, I, I, I'm right there with you because I think that there's so much more going on that our five senses can pick up on and measure. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, again, it, it's all stuff that just fascinates me. And I like- I, Spidey sense. Spidey <laughs> sense. Spidey. Yes. Spidey sense. Oh, chills. N like I might. Yeah. When you get the chills, your nose tingles, like those sorts of sensing. Yeah, totally. I love that. And just stuff. the universe kind of telling you to do something. You're like, why would I do that on any other day and any other time? It's just something is telling me That's this right. is what I'm supposed to do. So oh. I love living life on purpose, right? That's right. That's right. So, well, what you're talking about, I think, is inspiration. That that like hit of <gasps> inspiration. That that's the universe saying, "Oh, you gotta act." There's the path of least resistance to the path of most abundance right ahead of you if you act. So yeah, and if you keep waiting, <laughs> the bus will have gone by. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit because one of my questions was to ask you to identify the intersection of all those pieces, which you just did. So thank you for. Um, taking that off my <laughs> you are welcome. And taking that off my list. Um, but what is the origin? I mean, like we go in our head, we make, we're either consciously or subconsciously, right? We're creating the world we're living in oh, yeah. or a perception of it. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. Okay. So yeah. then what is the origin in that case of our negative self-talk? Mm. And then what do you suggest we do about it? Yeah. So this all boils down to, I, I love that you put those two things together because I don't know for most people that doesn't seem totally obvious, but this idea that we are completely, we are, we are completely uh, uh, creating our own world 
due to what we're perceiving and interpreting. Many of us think that there's an objective world out there that we're picking up on, but the truth is we're, we're picking up on inputs and we translate that in our own minds and brains. And we come up and we have our own reality that we are living in. And the, the primary mechanism that gives rise to one's reality is hundred percent solely the relationship that one has with themselves. Because that relationship with self, that forms the primary lens that we now look out to, to the world. And as we look out to the world, what we perceive isn't really objective. It is a projection of this relationship we have with ourselves. Now, what do I mean by relationship with self? That simply is, mm, do I know myself to be whole and complete? Do I believe myself to be enough? Do I believe myself to be worthy? Do I believe myself to be unworthy? Do I believe that I am smart? Do I believe all of the, all of the ways in which we self-identify and, and how we regard our own self and that relationship of do I, do I know myself as enough? Or do I believe myself is not good enough? And there's a big, big, big difference between believing and knowing. And I won't dive into that just yet, but right here with this relationship with self, if there's any aspect of us that believes ourselves to be inadequate, and I'm going to tell you right now, most of the population has a slightly wonky relationship with self. And I am certain it's due to the way in which we develop as humans in relationship with others based upon, oh God, it, this is where it all connects, based upon the neurobiology of communication and the fact that rejection is death to the brain. So there's all this in play going on. We form a relationship with ourselves of say lack at an early, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I'm not smart enough. I'm not worthy. I'm unlovable. You name it. Now, if that's live within us, which it is for almost all of us in some aspect, that lens, right, is essentially saying I'm not good enough. Now, I'm not good enough to, to have acceptance, belonging, and approval with others, which truly is life to the brain. And so if there is a fear that we're not good enough, then that lens is going to cause us to see lack out there, which we're going to put it back on ourselves. And that is, a, that is solely 100% the reason we have negative self-talk is because we believe ourselves to be of lack in some way. And then we listen to ourselves. Oh, yeah, because because we take our thoughts as real. I mean, and you know, because our thoughts happen and we think, oh, because I'm having them, they must be real. But the truth is we get to direct our thoughts. We get to shift how we're looking at things. And so, yeah, it's a, that's absolutely right. But when you're spinning, oh, I'm sorry, Summer, go ahead. I was just going to say, personally, I find I make a lot of assumptions in my life and they're not always on target. And some of those assumptions lead me to that place of lacking where I'm like, maybe it's me. Maybe <laughs> I'm the problem. I'm not enough or I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. So I can definitely see how that would be the origin or an origin of, of the issue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But if we're spinning, Amy, and so we've created this drama whatever it is, and it, or it could be very real, but our thoughts are running away with us. Or we, mm -hmm. let, me, let me take responsibility in that sentence. Our thoughts aren't running away with us. We jumped on the thought that yes. is running away. Yeah. Because you're reinforcing that we have the ability and responsibility to be boss of our thoughts. Yep. So yep. 
But when you're in that state of that heightened sense of awareness and stress, mm-hmm. um, what is maybe just one tip or idea you have for a listener or myself or summer? Like if that's happening with us, we can just go, whoa, Nelly. Yeah, yeah. Do? Great question. I kind of have a multi-step process, which I have found it's a four-step process that almost it's it's a it's a universal four-step process with almost every principle and every um gosh, every major lesson I teach, whether it's in communication or transformation or flow or whatever, it's usually, it's always going to come back to this four-step process. And the first step to truly take responsibility for your life so that you are truly claiming the life you were born to live. The first step is number one, you have to care way more about how you feel, not about what you're thinking, but how you feel, because what's happening is how you are feeling is really pretty much dictated by what you're focusing on. It's very much like watching a TV, right? So, because if you want to, if let's say it's Friday, it's Friday, we know it's Friday. The end of the day, you're like, I just want to kick back. I'm in my down season. I want to chill. Let me turn on the TV so I can relax. And then you turn it on and all of a sudden there's this horror film. You're like, I don't want to watch that. What do you do? You change the channel because you don't like the way it makes you feel. And so we understand on a fundamental level that whatever we focus on is going to impact how we feel. But our internal focus is a huge determinant of how we are feeling in a moment. So step number one, we have to care about how we feel, recognizing that that's an indicator of our focus. And I think for most of us, you know, we've learned to become pretty tolerant and conditioned to feeling kind of crappy. Right. And thinking that this is just the norm. It's like the, the anxiety and discontent and dis, like all of that starts to become white noise for a lot of folks. And they just that they they calibrate to that, thinking that this is just how it's supposed to be. Well, no, it's just because of a perpetual focus, probably an inner dialogue about self that's not that's not serving them. So step number one, you got to care about how you feel, because that's telling you where the spotlight of your focus is. Step number two is catch when you're not feeling great, right? So waking up to how you feel in a moment, you could be like, gosh, you know, I'm feeling really kind of edgy or I'm feeling kind of anxious or I'm feeling, gosh, I'm really kind of apathetic. And, or it could be, I'm feeling really, really down. It's like, oh, well, that's interesting. Because then when you catch it, you could say, well, how do I change a channel up here? And so step three is, okay, well, am I on the horror channel? Am I on the CNN channel? Okay, I want to get, no, uh, let me let me turn it to planet Earth. I want to watch the dolphins. Oh, that's just lovely, right? Until all of a sudden we st- they start talking about climate change and you're like, oh, no, 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 I need to change the channel again, right? <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Quit amping us up. Right, right, right exactly. But it's the same thing. It's You yeah. get to choose. Do you want to be um, triggered? Yep. Or, or do you want to be focused on what's making you feel better? Right. And so this is where, you know, we, I, I know a lot of us have heard and understand the power of a of gratitude practice. I mean, a gratitude practice, we don't do that just to do that. I mean, this is a, that, what the, that is about is about turning the channel from the have not to the, oh my gosh, I have, this yeah. is amazing. You know, what's wrong to what's right. And when we can get on the what's right channel, we elevate, we start to elevate our mood and then when we elevate our mood, we get rid of some of this resistance, which allows for flow, new thought, new inspiration for abundance to come through. So a lot of goodness comes with really being responsible for the channel of your mind. 
And then I say, but sometimes we can be on a channel that it just feels stuck. And you're just, and you could be so far down on that like emotional spectrum that you might take, you know what? I'm just going to go take a nap. I'm just going to give this a couple of days. That's okay. We'll try again <laughs> tomorrow. We just have to let it, you know, we just let it be. Cause the last thing we want to do though, is in this practice is to push against what is true in a moment. So if we are feeling down, the last thing we want to do is make ourselves wrong for that, to push against it. We just, we just note it like, okay, got it. I'm feeling rather despondent. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's just what's true. Hmm. How might I shift versus, oh my gosh, here I go again. Uh, you know, and then you're hard on yourself, which does not help. It just makes it worse. It just piles on, piles on. Mm-hmm. But I think, Summer, you were mentioning to me earlier that you have some other questions of kind of in that realm about catching ourselves or blind spots. What? Yeah, I, I always try to like pull little nuggets for myself personally out of the interviews we do with folks just because I think that then I can help you know the rest of our audience you know resonate with something like that so my question was kind of on the topic of blind spots so you mentioned that you had a passion for helping leaders find those blind spots but I guess how do you even attempt to find them knowing that those are probably the hardest to see oh yeah well (sighs) You know, there are some pretty, there are some pretty clear themes in the blind spots that we can hold, but the process of identifying them for individuals or for a team or for it's, it really, it's, it's the art and the practice of in conversation, you know, by, by asking the right questions, it's really the ability to listen for the stuff this person doesn't know that they don't know about what they're thinking, what they're perceiving, what they're believing, and what they're interpreting. And so what it is, it's about picking up on the stuff. It's that area that's not known that's not known. And, you know, and how and how we're able to do that, or at least I can speak for myself, I'm able to pick up on the what is it that they don't know that they don't know about this topic of hand here? What's holding them back? And I can hear it in body language, in the in the argument, in the logic, in the facial expressions. There's a lot I'm picking up on. And, you know, for me, I, I realized quite young because I started, as you had mentioned, math was my thing. And I was I studied math at UC Berkeley. I, mathematics, I mean, math was totally my thing. So I taught it in high school and I taught it in college. And I picked up pretty early and it was in high school when I had a tutoring business that I recognized, ah, what's really lighting me up here is not so much the transmission of information. It's really partnering with this individual to understand where they don't even realize they're stuck because they don't know what question to ask. And that's why they're so frustrated. And it was listening for well, what is it that they don't know that they don't know here that's keeping them from asking the right question? Because it's not about what you know, and it's not about even what you don't know, because you can, you can deal with those two realms. And so when I'm working with individuals or leaders, it's really, you know, it, relative to their aspiration, relative to the goal, in conversation, what is it that you don't know, that you don't know about what you think is holding you back? And that's, and that's where we excavate those blind spots. Yeah. So it sounds like it's just kind of a deep dive, being very intentional and being very observational about what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
So let's talk a bit about your new book because it's pretty fresh, fresh off the press. May was not that long ago, even though we're entering autumn. Um, what got you going to write that book? I mean, just even the name of it right now, you can tell that it aligns with you. But yeah. what was your thought behind writing it and why now? Oh, well, thank you for this. Um, well, so the 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 title the full title is Living on Purpose five deliberate choices to realize fulfillment and joy. And so I had founded always on purpose and I started coaching in 2010, founded always on purpose in 2011. And I mean, it just took off like wildfire and just hundreds and hundreds of coaching conversations just immersed myself in this work. And there had been, um, you know, really there started to emerge these very, very, very clear themes on the ways in which we hold our back, ourselves back, and I'll say they're, they're blind spots that we hold that were keeping us from living our, from truly stepping into the feeling that we wanted, which is, which is freedom, joy, fulfillment, peace, contentment, inner calm. Like that's really what people want. You know, we say we want money, we say we want a promotion, we say we want, we say we want stuff, but the truth is the reason we want the stuff is because we think it's going to make us feel a certain way. And so when it all comes down to it, all of us truly, truly, truly have a desired feeling state that we're after more so than the thing. And so in all these conversations, I was really starting to see, oh my gosh, there's some pretty clear ways in which we hold ourselves back from realizing this in a very simple way. And as I began to do this work, the process I was taking clients through, and it's not like a formula per se, but just very clear conversations in, a, in an organic way that's meant for them. But, you know, I, it's like, hey, this, there's a process here. It was working. And oh my gosh, like just to see someone go from totally stuck, totally frustrated, to whatever that ugh, feeling was to completely free, empowered, just immersed in possibility, abundant, and just manifesting like crazy and on fire, so in charge of their own life. To see this over and over, it was like, this, this is working. And so a lot of my clients started asking, is there a book on this that I can just follow up and supplement and self-study? And I'm like, there's not. Like, because I have been pulling from all these different fields and research in order to kind of put this process together. And so what happened was in 2016, when I was becoming certified in conversational intelligence, and I learned about the neuroscience of communication and trust, and namely that rejection literally registers like death to the brain. That was like, it, I can't even begin to tell you. The feeling I had when it I was like, this is the missing piece to the formula, because that's exactly what I was needing. I was needing some hard data to show where we form our false limiting beliefs. Aha, this is it. So the moment I got that, all of a sudden it's like, okay, I know exactly what this book needs to be. And so it was around that time I, I was clear. I'm like, this is it. However, it's not time to write it because I'm still in process of getting the research and getting the client stories and the case studies. And so it wasn't until about 2019 that I started feeling really itchy. And I'm like, okay, I think it's time. And so that's when I, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to make this happen. And so it was at the end of 2019, I'm going to write this book. Synchronicity just totally led me to the right people, to the right resources, to the right everything. And then here we are 2022. It's now released. So. 
Well, congratulations. And that's an interesting story about how that all played out and the timing of it as well. Oh, oh. I love to hear the time invested in the book because a lot of uh, folks today, I think, kind of just have an idea and they just kind of push it out. They're like, we got to get this out, get it out. And to hear that you took like years of, you know, research and development and like fine tuning the process and like testing it out on folks. That's really amazing to see the outcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, it really does feel synchronistic because, you know, a big part of the book, it's, you know, I, I talk about one of the tenets in there is to feel it out, don't figure it out. And what feel it out really means is to really listen to inspiration more than we listen to that strategy in our head. You know, the strategy is, oh, but if you're going to do this right, Amy, you got to do it like this and you need to do it by here and you should be, should be like this. And so, you know, to to lean on the, but what feels expansive, what feels amazing, what feels life-giving is to kind of follow this path, which isn't totally logical, but, you know, I have to trust actually this is going to pay off in a much bigger way because there's, there's other things at play here that I can't put my finger on, but I'll just trust that it comes together. And sure enough, it did truly, truly. Cause I, like you said, the timing was and was crazy because I literally got started the first week of 2020 with my mentor, Christine Carlson and editor Deb Evans. And I'm at up at her place in, in Mount Shasta and I map out the whole book and I get chapter one written. And that's like, we are doing this and I'm so excited. And then the world shuts down <gasps> like, oh my gosh. And so all my travel is canceled. All my keynotes are canceled. All my, for, I'm like, whoa, got all this time. And so, I mean, it really was kind of magical because it it literally took me the entire year finish the manuscript manuscript on December 27th of 2020 so it, it literally from the first week to the end it took it took that long but I'm I'm grateful because I had resources available to me that I wouldn't have had otherwise and you had the time you weren't mm -hmm, distracted exactly. yeah. so um so we're wrapping we're getting close to wrapping up here and I want to ask you Oftentimes guests have something that they would like to offer listeners or, um, you know, just so they can connect more with folks. Is there something, Amy, that you have that you want to let your folks know? Do you have a PDF or something? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. So on my website, um, like as a PDF, I have quite a few resources and I know pretty soon here I'm going to have a workbook a free download workbook that's going to go along with the book. So that should happen in the next couple of next month or so, but on my website, always on purpose on the resources page, there are practices, there are downloads, there are, there, there are things that you can sign up for or do that are going to help you truly be in the driver's seat of your own life. Cause that's really what it's about, <laughs> you know, being at choice, harnessing choice in that powerful way. Yeah. Summer, any final questions from you before we start pulling it in? Um, I don't know. I guess I just like to say that I love the underlying theme of, of thriving. So getting away from just surviving and, and focusing more on enjoyment and thriving and just happiness, because we know that life is really short. And sometimes we need things like this to put it in perspective for us and to help us reprioritize where our focus should be. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So, Amy, I want to personally thank you for being on the podcast. I know when this first got set up, I was excited to meet you. I read your bio. I looked at the other information on you. And then I just thought, all right. When I saw that you worked in all those different fields, which are interconnected, 
I just thought this gal's going to be some fun. And <laughs> well, really, it's kind of geeky. Yeah. And I, I kind of love that. So yeah. anyway, thanks so much for being a guest on our podcast, Amy. And listeners, I'm encouraging you, first of all, go back. If you're driving, don't do this now. Or if you're doing dishes, you can wait. But come back to this episode. Look at the show notes. Find out how to connect with Amy. All of her connections are in there. Um, remember to go to her website, look for the resources and download something to help you. Um, cause I was, I'm thinking, how do I get so much email now? And I'm thinking, cause I download our guest resources um, <laughs> and it has made me a lot more aware of things than I would have ever been before. So with that folks, thanks for being on this week's episode and we'll see you next week for another episode on the no labels, no limits podcast. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash No Labels, No Limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review, and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, Keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.